Sean Custom Car Care. All right, good morning and welcome. We've got Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Miss Sarah, how's the morning treating you? It's well. How are you? Not too bad. Are you in love with the winter season? I am just counting down the days <laughs> until summer. I, I am as well. Definitely uh, welcome the longer days. I, it's always hard for me to go to work and it's dark and get off when it's dark. It's cold. It's windy. It's damp. It's snowing. It's raining. Oh, wait, it's 75 the next day. You know, as we have this roller coaster we're in here in Missouri. So we're a few months away from, you know, spring. I'm assuming is going to hopefully come early. We'll see. Um, how do you feel like you've you've dealt with the winter so far? Are you embracing it and or are you just you're just uh, I'm just dealing with you're it. You're just dealing with it. You're waiting it's until the awful. sunshine comes. Yes. How's your vehicles done? Have they uh, made it through the winter pretty good? They have. Yep. I am very pleased with my brand new little car. That was a big thing whenever I purchased my vehicle was I wanted something that was going to be like a mom vehicle, yep. you know, give yep. me that extra space because of all the all the stuff that we're carrying around. But also, since we had just moved out into the country, I mm-hmm. wanted something that was going to be a little bit better than my Chevy Cruze. And this one has definitely held up. That's awesome. Yeah. It seems to get around decently when it's uh, mm-hmm. slick outside. It's also got sport mode. So oh. every once in a while, <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. It, that's a lot of fun. So when you're getting ready to pass, do you think, oh, Sport mode, bam. Ooh, I should. You should. You know, maybe whenever we get some ice, maybe I'll put it in sport mode. You know, get a so little reckless. Yours is front wheel drive, right? Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't even be putting this out there. But in case you want to know, if you want to do donuts in a front wheel drive, you have to do them in reverse. Mm, okay. That you have to get the drive axles, you know, on the other side of you. And, and then they do good donuts. But uh, what do they say? Don't try this at home, kids. And that the disclaimer That's we got to right. put out there. But definitely want to make sure that uh, hopefully things are going well and your car is in good shape. We've seen a lot of uh, heating issues where they're not heating up and you're not getting good defrost or, you know, tire and and sliding into stuff. We see that whenever slick weather happens. Um, It always, I don't want to say it's funny because it's not, it's funny like weird. But I see people with like rear wheel drive, high horsepower performance cars try and get out in the snow and... Typically, it doesn't yield very well. You should just stay home if you're not really ready. As well as, just because you got a big jacked up four-wheel drive doesn't mean you can go 80 down the road. So, one of those things. Uh, it always it interests me. I had a guy pass me on a motorcycle this morning. And I was like, really? He actually pulled all the way. He was behind me. I could hear him. In between the traffic, like it was dual lanes, mm-hmm. sat up there and then just gassed it when the, the stoplight. Do you know if that's – is that something that's normal that you do? I've never seen that before. I, I've seen that before and it scares me whenever they do that. It's really weird. Yeah, was, whenever they drive right in the, the middle. The middle. And I was like, what what's going on here? Because, you know, I've ridden motorcycles as well. I'm not a big avid motorcyclist. But um, – if you kill it taking off and you're the lead person at a stoplight, hopefully the person behind you is paying attention because mm-hmm. then you get run over by everybody. It just it was kind of reckless this morning. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, I've seen that before. And it, like I said, it always makes me just really nervous. Yeah. And I get it. A lot of motorcycles are air cooled. So, you know, you don't want to be sitting in traffic. They mm-hmm. will overheat. But this morning, it's been very cold out there, so it clearly was an overheat issue. Um, And he got out of the way and did fine. I I just thought that was a little interesting. I thought I would bring it up. I did hear another uh, piece of news. We we talk about EV vehicles or electric vehicles quite often. 
I think this was in Europe, so I don't think it was local, but I the the you know subjects matters here to the states. But there is a uh, ferry company that you know takes vehicles across whatever open water that you have, and they are banning all electric vehicles, all hybrid vehicles, all hydrogen vehicles for the company as a risk factor. Because they had one catch on fire, which salt water is very conductive and corrosive, as most of you out there, I'm sure, know. And apparently, what I'm going to make some assumptions, they narrowed down the failure of this ferry to a vehicle that caught fire. And once those EV batteries start going, apparently they're not easily extinguished by normal firefighting um, practices. So if somebody out there knows more than this and you want to shoot a message into the show, I would love to know more about it, but I'm just kind of sharing this as information more than anything. Again, if I get the opportunity or when I get the opportunity, I'm not opposed to a, you know, full electric vehicle or hybrid. I'd probably prefer a hybrid to have that backup. I think anybody that's been listening to the show knows that I like redundancies. I, uh, I believe that one is none, two is one, and three is where you should be in pretty much everything. So, you know, most items in my life, I try and have redundancies, especially the more critical that it is. So we've heard about, you know, the dark winter and and uh, the power outages that have happened. And they have happened throughout the country. We had that attack on the uh, the solar farm out in Vegas. I'm sure folks heard about that where somebody decided to drive their car into the solar farm to critical infrastructure and essentially siphon gas and then light it on fire. Uh, but I think most of that was dealt with at the, at the time that the event happened. So there really wasn't a lot of damage, but my point is, is if you're worried about, you know, power or transportation or food, you know, your critical infrastructure, and I'm not talking about like as a country, it's very important as a country, by the way, but I'm talking about taking a little ownership of it for your own household or your own um, you know, infrastructure for your business, whatever it is on a micro level instead of a, you know, macro level such as the country, if you will. So when I talk about redundancies, I like having backup power, a little bit of extra food set aside, a little bit of security set aside. And then for my transportation, it's very important. So if I'm going to get one, I'm definitely going to have a ICE. They call it an internal combustion engine is kind of the term what most of us out there are driving at this point in our career and life. But the EV and hybrid market is coming on like a, uh, you know, a thunder, mainly because there's a lot of political push and you can have your own opinion about that. I am not against it, but I don't want to cram down my throat because, you know, big government says that that's what we're supposed to have. So this uh, ferry company had a failure. They had a vehicle catch fire. They could not extinguish it. It burns extremely hot, and it ended up sinking the ferry and all the other cars on it. And there's some crazy videos out there. I assume YouTube would have them, but you might have to look on some alternative alternative uh, media sources. But I, I saw a video, and I believe it was a Chinese freighter that had a, just a boatload of cars on it and they got in really turbulent seas and they the hybrid vehicle started catching fire and they videoed it and I don't know whether it took the freighter down but I know in this instance it did take the ferry down so the ferry company just said hey it's too much risk once these catch fire we can't deal with them 
And I know how much a boat costs. Can you imagine how much replacing a ferry or a freighter is going to cost? It is insane how much that's going to cost the liability. So what they did is they banned them all together. They will not accept hybrid. They will not accept full electric vehicles. And they will not accept hydrogen vehicles, which hydrogen's not near what it was. You know, it kind of comes and goes or it wanes, if you will. And uh, it's not as popular, but they just said, hey, the risk of hauling those vehicles, the juice is not worth the squeeze in this instance. So we're not going to do it. And they have banned them all together. So riddle me this. If it's that bad on a freighter or a ferry, how good do you feel about parking that thing in your garage? I'm a little leery of that. I'm like, man, that ain't quite right. Um, and I know there's a lot of folks out there, and I'm not saying that they're all you know, going to catch on fire. Please don't take it as that. But this is a reality. They lost a ton of other vehicles due to this fire. And it makes me a little leery. I don't want to have to rely on finding a supercharging station or whatever. You know, the infrastructure for the internal combustion engine is really pretty well put together here in the United States, Canada. I would argue Mexico. I've never been there. But I assume if you have money and you uh, don't run into the cartels, you'll be fine. But it's one of those deals that needs to be out there for folks. You know, I am not opposed to it. Again, I expect at some point in time, we as a company, A1 Custom, will start working on them. We do some hybrid work at this point in time now. It, it is happening, but it's not mainstream. And I really feel like from, you know, the consumer side of it, that it's going to be a little while before we get good quality vehicles being produced again. And whatever we're driving right now, and I'm not just saying this because I, you know, am part of a repair facility. I want you to be able to drive whatever you've got for as long as you choose to. What typically happens is people aren't really ready to get into another vehicle, and some catastrophic happens with the vehicle you have, and you're pushed into a decision to have to buy another vehicle. And that's a tough spot to be in. I've been in it at different points throughout my life. You know, thankfully, Stacy and I, we're in a, a decent spot right now. We all we have a bunch of older vehicles with kind of higher mileage. And I'm thinking about at some point I will get either a new-to-us truck or a brand-new truck, depending on how the market goes. And I want to talk a little bit about the market here later in the show but now I don't know is quite the time. I think these first two or three quarters, I'm definitely thankful that, you know, our vehicles are in pretty good repair. You know, they're, I think all of them are probably over 100,000. I think maybe one of the kids' cars or a couple of the kids' cars are a little south of 200. I'm sorry if I said 100,000. I meant 200,000. Most of our vehicles are 200,000, 300,000, and I got one that's uh, 440, 445, something like that. We were driving it here just the other day. thing runs and drives great, and I'm so thankful for that. And I hope a lot of you folks out there are either in that position or you're working towards that because it's a tough spot to owe big time on a vehicle and then have to come up to either a decision whether to replace it and roll the excess onto the next vehicle or have to do a big repair bill. So I think taking care of what you own right now is going to be really important. But Sarah and I need to step into a break. We'll be right back after this. For complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back. Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, you always do such a good job 
like finding the details of the harebrained things that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So you found some details about this uh, ferry that went down. Yes. So it was a Norwegian shipping company, and the boat is actually called the Felicity Ace. Mm. And it had over 3,800 cars on it when it burned and sank. Many of them were high-end luxury vehicles. Mm. Now, they said that they had uh, luxury cars like Porsches, Lamborghinis, and Bentleys on board. So I'm not a luxury car person. Don't get me wrong. I think they're cool. But if I ever won the lottery, a Bentley is what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Could you see me rolling in a Bentley? Well, if you're a millionaire, maybe. Maybe. Maybe you'd <laughs> probably take that. But all those went to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, what a with mess. With this ferry on there. Yeah. And you know, you know, it's not like you just fish it out of the old uh, cow pond and, and you know, fire it up and, and put it back into service. Those vehicles are ruined forever. They're gone. Mm-hmm. And that's such a shame um, that that's what happened. So even if you had a huge insurance policy on those cars, I think if I remember right in the article, some of those were one-off cars. Like they were non-production run vehicles. Ferraris, I know they had some on theirs. Lambos were on there. A lot of your high-end European vehicles. And some of them were, I don't want to say prototype, but yeah, they were a prototype one-off car that was lost. So that ferry or the, the company that owned that decided, hey, we are no longer doing any of this other stuff. And you got to think that, you know, there if it happened there, it can happen again. And I'm not a doom and gloom, like scare kind of person. I'm a reality person that, hey, this happened, shouldn't have happened, but it did. Do I want it, it part of my personal life? Or whatever, and I don't. That's that's the answer. I want to have not that internal combustion. There's a lot of internal combustion cars that have caught fire over the years. Obviously, I've been working on cars professionally for almost two decades at this point. I've had some fires and some different things um, when I was younger. The one that sticks out the most, I had a backfire on a S10 Chevy Blazer that coughed a bunch of gasoline out of the throttle body, and I didn't have the intake on it. And I was in a parking lot. This was a personal vehicle and and friend vehicle. We ended up having, thankfully, there was snow on the ground, and we were able to extinguish the fire with snow. But that's the point. When you have a uh, petroleum fire, diesel fire, or, you know, oily-based liquid fire, we have the ability to deal with those fires with an ABC, is it ABCD fire extinguisher? An all-chemical-based fire extinguisher. And most of my vehicles and equipment, I try and keep a fire fire extinguisher with it because things happen. The technology that's in these batteries is pretty intense. I don't know if I've ever shared this story, but I've got a dear friend of mine, and we had ordered some lithium uh, rechargeable batteries. This is years ago when the technology was still fairly new, and they had come from overseas. And they went in our flashlights. As a mechanic, you deal a lot with flashlights. I mean, it's almost like, you know, I carry one everywhere I go and I utilize and have multiple backups because I have to typically have a flashlight to see what I'm doing a lot of times. So we were putting or or aligning a clutch and, and uh, stabbing a transmission back in, which any of you out there that have ever you know, put a clutch in and had to stab a transmission and get it all lined up. That's not the easiest thing ever. So he had his flashlight going for quite a while with one of these overseas lithium batteries on there. And it was getting hot and hot and hot. And that's pretty normal on a high output flashlight, even an LED light. But this one got overheated and eventually 
if you've ever shot model rockets, it made the whistling sound when you ignite a rocket motor and got extremely hot and kind of burned his fingers a little bit and then ended up in the floor. And I don't know, I want to say it was probably like a 410 or a 20 gauge shotgun, at least the concussion going off there in the bay, which thankfully he dropped it and it didn't hurt anybody. No big deal. That's an aluminum shell flashlight. It did blow big uh, chunks out of that aluminum shell. Nobody got hurt. It wasn't no big deal. But that was our lesson about using um, A, batteries that I don't know the uh, the quality control of and, you know, that batteries can be very dangerous even on a very small scale. This was a very small battery in a flashlight that would fit in your pocket. And so when that happened, I was running them as well. I threw all mine away. Everybody else that had ordered them, threw them away, and we went to buying uh, Surefire, I think, CR123 batteries to go back in our flashlights. They're more expensive, but I never had any of them explode because the technology there was much better and there were safeguards put in place to where hopefully that didn't happen. But it could have hurt somebody worse than it did. Like I said, it did burn them, gave them some blisters on there. But when you look at these battery sheets or cells, depending on who the manufacturer is, they have a tremendous amount of energy, obviously, within them, and they can cause a problem. So what's kind of my recommendation, I guess, would be where I'm at at this point in the conversation. It is that, hey, you know, if you buy one that's cool, just be mindful of what you do with it. But if you have a older vehicle maybe that you own outright, I would sure make sure that I didn't discard that vehicle or basically just let it sit and go to pot. Sitting a vehicle that just sits and isn't being used is actually harder on a vehicle that's being uh, used a lot and putting a lot of miles on. You know, both will take their toll and use, but a lot of times when stuff sits, it starts to seize up. It starts to fail much quicker than if you were using it, maybe not every day, but at least weekly, monthly. You need to kind of work those systems, exercise them. Something that I do um, kind of as a habit now is a lot of times our anti-lock brake system doesn't get used very often. And then when the snow happens, you expect it to work and then maybe it does or it doesn't. So before I really get too far on my trip, if there is precipitation out there on the ground, is I get on the brakes pretty hard in a good, uh, safe area, not to where I'm going to get rear-ended. I'm paying attention to my surroundings. If you do this and you get yourself in an accident, you are the operator of your vehicle and you need to be in control of it. But I want to work that ABS system and see how it responds to the slick conditions that I'm in right now. So, which would be a little bit of an abrupt stop in a safe area and a safe manner because I want to see how the vehicle starts to slide, how it skids, and then I want to exercise and work that analog brake system. That's really important because it doesn't get used hardly often. And typically the way you know that it engaged is you will get a little humming or a vibration noise at the brake pedal or behind the dash. You will feel the pedal kind of drop a little bit as it's compensating for the skid situation that you're in. As well as if the headlights are on, you will typically see them dim a little bit because the electric motor that drives that analog brake system takes a lot of current to work. It also not only bleeds pressure to keep you hopefully in control of a skid, but it will it has an accumulator that will build pressure and then reapply as the wheel starts to spin again. So 
It's one of those deals that you typically don't use, but just a few times a year. What I don't want to happen is not know whether that system A is going to work and B, how it's going to respond to a skid in a slick or precipitation style event, as well as I want to know whether it works or not, because it hasn't been used probably since the last snow or sleet or ice that we've had. Now, if you are in a you know very high speed, uh, what I call a panic stop brake situation on dry pavement, it will work then as well. But typically, that's not where I want to be testing it. I know that I'm going to be using it when I have a sleet, snow, ice, precipitation. I want to exercise it real quick just to make sure it's good in a safe manner before I need it. Okay. A lot of times it's not your fault that you need to do a panic stop. It's because somebody else pulled out in front of you, turned in front of you, stopped in front of you, a dog came out, deer, you can fill in the blank for whatever triggers that panic stop. A lot of times it's not your bad. It's you responding to some other input to your driving situation. And I want you safe and I want to make sure that system's working as well as I take and pay real close attention to our tires as the temperature changes a lot right now, we get a uh, about a 4 PSI uh, fluctuation, increase or decrease, for every 10 degrees that it increases or decreases. So if it cools off 10 degrees, it's going to be 4 PSI less. If it warms up 10, 20 degrees, it'll be 4 or 8 PSI more. That's normal kind of just loose, down and dirty information for you there, but... It's really important to make sure you're as prepared as possible. And God forbid, if you don't have to get out in nasty weather, please don't. Okay. If you have a diesel-powered vehicle and it has a block heater on it, I strongly recommend that you pay the extra little bit to the, the power company and keep that vehicle plugged in because it will start and run much easier. And I'm speaking from experience. I've got an old 7.3 that... When I keep the block heater plugged in, it fires up like nothing happened, even at single digits or negatives. And when I don't, I get, uh, you know, a lot of extended crank. Your batteries have to be in better shape. Your oil has to be in better shape. The fuel system has to be in tip-top shape in order to start without the block heater. So I just, I'm, I'm trying to hedge uh, or mitigate as many of the problems in my personal life as possible. And hopefully this provides at least some things to think about for you guys out there. But we need to step into the bottom of the hour. Sarah and I will be right back after this. For complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back, Sarah Justin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, if we get a bunch of snow, which, you know, may or may not happen throughout this winter, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay home? Yeah, so thankfully, my job allows me to work somewhat remotely. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, I do have to be in studio to run a board. Mm -hmm. However, um, I do have a small little mixing board and oh, a microphone. You do. Yes, so I didn't know that. I can always produce like commercials and things like that because okay. there's there's a lot more than production that goes on behind the scenes mm -hmm. here at the station. So thankfully, I can do. I would say maybe like sixty five to seventy percent of okay. my job at home. Oh, that's um, cool. So yeah, it, it's really good. Um, Nick, he doesn't live terribly far mm -hmm. from the station, so. We've already made a plan in place. If I'm not able to make it to the station, uh, he'll do the the other person of the job that nice. I can't do. So it's nice to have folks you can yes. kind of rely on. Mm -hmm. And it used to be vice versa with us because I used to live like 10 minutes from the station, mm -hmm. and so I would come in on the snowy days and uh, do everything, and then he would work from home. Mm -hmm. So yep, the 
Script is flipped. How much do you love shoveling snow? Do I you, don't. You don't. You don't get out there and <laughs> no, shovel the snow. Uh-uh. You just let it melt and deal yep, with it. Basically. So I do a fair amount of the snow removal for our facility. So if it's done well, you're welcome. And if it's not, I'll be the guy to take the complaint. So uh, I've been doing that the last, I don't know, several years. We built the snow pushing equipment about probably eight years ago. And then it didn't snow for five years. You jinxed it. I know. Which is fine. uh, For everybody out there that doesn't like the snow, you're welcome. I gave you five (laughs) years of no snow. But I'm paying for it at this point, which is fine. I really actually do enjoy the snow, at least in the beginning. But then the snow gets dirty, and you work on drippy cars, and it is torture. I can imagine. Oh, my. It is, you know, every time I look up, it's, you know, dirty snow falling in the face, in the mouth, in the ear. It is a challenge. As well as things break or get torn up during the snowy, slick conditions that we wouldn't normally see. Uh, we do custom exhaust. We've been doing custom exhaust since the beginning. That was pretty much the inception of what started A1 Custom Car Care. And I see it drag off a lot of questionable exhaust systems. So if you have an older vehicle and the exhaust probably isn't that great, it will find the weakest point if we get much snow that accumulates. So I'm seeing those exhaust skills shrink drastically in the industry. That's actually why I was hired at A1 Custom. Did I ever share that with you? I don't think so. So back in the day, thankfully, Lois kind of noticed that we had some of the best exhaust technicians that you could have ever found. I mean, these guys were amazing, but they were all in their 50s and Mm -hmm. 60s, and I think maybe even into their 70s. I'd have to verify that one. But long story short, Whenever we didn't have one of the guys or they went on vacation or, you know, we had, a, I think, uh, uh, injury at one point in time, not at work. It was an unrelated injury. They were off and nobody else had those skills. So when I interviewed, that was one of the things that appealed to them. I had some welding and fabrication experience. And then they made the investment in me to move me from master exhaust technici- technician to master exhaust. I mean, these guys... This is stuff you can't really read and learn in a textbook. You got to do it and you got to mess it up and you got to get burned and you got to, you know, damage and ruin some pipe and different things before you figure out how it works for you. And so I spent a little over a year, right at a year, just, I mean, eat, sleep, breathe, custom exhaust. And I can remember being so frustrated in the beginning of my career. I just was like, it was hard. It was ugly. It's welding overhead. So the sparks and all the hot stuff. I know that we're in studio, but there's a burn on my oh, right I hand. Oh, I see that. Yeah. It's probably about the size of a quarter, I guess. If we got a minute, I'll tell you this story because it shows you how full of myself I was at different points in my life. I was welding a old rusty exhaust system and there was a huge gap, like an inch And that's very difficult. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to do much welding, Sarah, but it's a challenge. Nope, I have not. (laughs) The fitment fitment of it is really important. If it's a small little gap, it's really easy to weld. Mm -hmm. In this one, it was about an inch, which is very, very difficult. You're dealing with uh, short circuit MIG welding is what I was doing. And I was filling the gap, and the customer was standing right there, and I was basically uh, telling him how good I was that I could do that and weld it up. And... 
uh, he was like, oh, man, I can't believe you do that. I'm like, yeah, I'm so awesome, blah, blah, blah. Well, about that time, karma came up and said, oh, you're you're uh, feeling full of yourself now, right? That bead or the big molten glob fell off, and it actually burnt me on the arm, but Ooh. I had welding gloves on with a big cuff, and it went right in the cuff of that <gasps> oh, glove. No. And I, I can remember this, and this has been years ago. You can see it's a pretty old scar at this point. Uh I hate to be story time, but I feel like it's rele- relevant. And uh, I had he was standing there watching me, and I had just told him how awesome and amazing I was. So I didn't want to, like, you know, knock it out of my glove or make a big deal. I just let it burn to pad my ego of how good I was. And I feel like that's my penance that uh, I, I, ha- I was, you know, too big for my britches and telling everybody how good I was. So that was what humbled me down at that point. So that makes me hurt. It did. It hurt for a long, long time. Um, Clearly, that's an area in your hand. You move a lot. So as it healed, it was very, it hurt a lot for a long time. So I try and keep that in mind and not lose that lesson that sometimes being a little full of yourself, you know, somebody upstairs will be looking down and kind of saying, I don't know, boy, I'm going to humble you down (laughs) a little bit. And so since then, I have. The shoe's on the other foot now. I'm starting to teach a lot of the younger guys how to do the exhaust stuff versus me being the one doing as much of it because I want to pass those skills on, and that's a lesson that I try and, and pass on that, hey, this is going to be frustrating. It's going to be tough. I think I've got uh, – I think we're running three or four young men that are learning those skills so we don't lose those skills, and I'm putting a lot of my time into training at this point. And I can remember how frustrating it was to learn those skills because welding, welding in general isn't, I wouldn't say the most difficult thing, but welding overhead in dark, uh, cramped positions is very difficult and frustrating. And it's really critical to make sure that that system is sewed up like it's supposed to. Otherwise, you get carbon monoxide inside the cab of the car, and I can't have that. So. Uh, could you ever see me kind of being boastful? Would you ever see that? I could see young you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's it's those lessons, you know, as you're kind of cutting your teeth and, you know, I don't want to say fake it till you make it because that really wasn't it. I had some amazing mentors. Uh, Les was one of them. Ron was one of them. Uh, Troy, who still works with us, he is out at our Republic location. Man, they were master craftsmen. And I can remember seeing how easy they made it look. And how just like struggle bus I was. I mean, I was, I was, I don't want to say I was hating it, but there for a while, like they would do a job in like 20 minutes and I would do that same job in like four hours. And it really was just like this big blow. It's like, why do I stink so bad at this? But now, you know, I've been doing it a long time. I've made, I don't want to say all the mistakes, but I've made a lot of them. And I learned kind of how to deal with that. And I think that's kind of what separates the, you know, the mediocre folks from the people that succeed is they just, they're too doggone stubborn and they don't give up and they just keep at it and keep at it and teaching young guys and making sure that they, you know, the welding and fabrication skills open so many doors. I, I look at problems differently than a lot of other technicians and a lot of other even industry people when I'm, even when I'm doing some DIY projects at home, because I have those welding and fabrication skills. And I guess maybe this dovetails into what we should talk about is trades and skill set right now in today's economy, in today's climate, and where I feel like the climate's going. 
I realize this is an automotive talk radio show, and hopefully we're entertaining and, and giving you some information as well. But skilled trades right now is probably one of the biggest deficits that, and I know Sarah and I talk about this from time to time, but this goes back to the point of how I look at problems. I have honed and refined multiple skills over the years. I won't say that I'm, you know, jack of all trades. I am a master of a couple of them, and I consider or work to be more skilled even in other areas because it helps my skill set when it comes to repairing cars, dealing with people, and just basically being able to handle problems in general. So if you are a tradesman or a tradeswoman out there, you are going to be in demand more than you probably ever have been in your entire life, or at least my lifetime. When I was a young man, you know, in the beginning, a lot of folks thought, oh, you know, college is where to go, which I'm not shooting holes at college by no means. But everybody for the last, I'm going to say 30 years, maybe even longer than that, focused on a higher college education, those white collar jobs. And that's great. If that worked out for you and you were able to make it with a white collar job, that's awesome. But what really waned or what the negative kind of outlook was on trades, Oh, you don't read so well or oh, your math stinks, you know, make sure, you know, you can finish concrete or you can, you know, work on cars or frame houses. Right now, those are the people winning and those are the people that are going to continue writing their own ticket. And I feel like that's really important. We do need to take one more break, but I want to talk about the trades and I'll finish that thought right after this. Through complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back, Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, you had a great point that the last couple of years and the world events that have been going on really highlighted the trades, folks. It really did. We had a lot of businesses close, but the trades really just seemed to skyrocket. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of people, HVAC technicians, uh, mechanics, electricians, plumbers, plumbers, all of them, they were just skyrocketed Mm -hmm. and they had wait times and they couldn't find enough employees because there wasn't a lot of people who were actually being trained in the trades. So, I mean, I think that there is still wait times on on some of those trade industries. Well, and there's this deficit from my side of it. I am uh, approaching my 40s. I'm Mm -hmm. knocking on the door there. So when I talk about being an old man, I'm not all that old yet, but, eh, you know, I'm (laughs) I'm not the young guy, the young gun. Thankfully, as a company, A1 Custom, we are reinvesting. We have quite a few young men that are, and young ladies, um, that are growing their skill set. And that's very intentional. You know, we found some amazing folks that really have the right mentality, the right mindset that we can invest in. And I'm honestly always looking for more. Even uh, when we go and and deal with, uh, you know, different industries, you know, whether I'm at Walmart or whatever, if I find somebody that's got that right skill set, I'm like, yeah, I need to, I need you to come talk to me. And I'm bold enough to do that because I want to reinvest in those young people like they invested in me. I'm a product that somebody saw skill or the the raw clay, if you will, and they invested in me and I've I've been able to provide them a return on that investment and continue to grow those skills. So to your point, you're exactly right. And I don't know, you may not be in the, you know, you know, you grew up in a different part of the country, but for guys, or not part of the country, just a little ways from here, 
the guys, if you didn't do any particular skill well, you went into finishing concrete. Hmm. And that was kind of like, oh, you know, I can't do anything else. I'm going to do that. Well, I'm that's hard work, and they earn every dollar of that. I've got a buddy of mine right now that can't find guys that will even show up and, and follow directions. He's paying anywhere from 30 to $75 an hour to get people to come and finish concrete wow. for him. So you have to realize, hey, that skill set's awesome. I have finished some concrete, and it doesn't ever turn out as well as the professionals. So when I hire that out and they do an amazing job, they earned every penny of that. And I point that out because for years that kind of hard labor has been like looked down on that, you know, you're just a hammer and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You can't do anything else. But now those people are reaping the benefits from having those skill sets. And that's huge. I uh, I definitely think they are in every part of their money. And for my plumbers out there, I don't know how many plumbing jobs you've ever been involved with, Sarah, but man, those guys and gals earn their money. I despise plumbing work. <laughs> yeah, they really do. Now, whenever I was in high school, we were kind of taught, make sure that you go to a four-year school, get your education, continue your education. It's okay if you don't know what you want to do in life. It's okay to do general studies, and that's mm -hmm. totally fine. But we had something that was called Votech, mm -hmm. which is where you go to high school part-time, yeah. college part-time, and it was offered for trade jobs. Mm -hmm. And... It was kind of made fun of oh, yeah. back in the day. And I was a Votech student. I was as well. And I thought it was really funny or ironic, I guess, mm -hmm. that some of the people who made fun of Votech students mm -hmm. then ended up finishing their careers at places like OTC. Mm -hmm. And they got a quality education yeah. out of it. I cannot I, – I should be a spokesperson for OTC because <laughs> they – I really got – some of the best education mm -hmm. from them. And I was considered a trade student. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of like, like I would say far reaching, but yeah, this falls into radio and media oh, falls yeah. into a trade profession. Absolutely. Communication or commo for our, our folks out there. It's a big deal. It's huge. You don't know what you don't know if you're in this bubble and you cannot get any more information in. I know for sure. I rely especially on, you know, the stations in this building, when bad weather comes, mm -hmm. my radio's on and I'm listening and I'm depending on these people to give us that information. And thankfully, you guys take that uber seriously. Mm -hmm. And you guys have for years, even when I was a kid, before I even knew anything about the stations here, I was listening to them when something bad was coming. So that is an absolute communication is huge across the board. So thank you for your trade. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, you had some stories, and I don't want to run off at the mouth too much. What do you find over That's there? That's okay. So I have a really good one here. So you know I'm a big fan of the Ford Bronco. They are really sharp. They vehicles. are really, really good. Yeah. So the Bronco is so popular that Ford is offering you $2,500 to buy any other vehicle. What? That is the headline of this story. <laughs> That's crazy. So let me let me read you a little bit of it. So Ford delivered over 97,000 Bronco SUVs to customers last year. Okay. But the number could have been higher if it was not for production oh, constraints. Yeah. So beyond the semiconductor shortage, you know, we've heard that quite a mm -hmm. bit. They also had various part suppliers remain tight and unable to keep up with the demand of the vehicles. Okay. So a lot of those items included uh, Bronco's molded in color 
color hardtop, the Sasquatch off-road upgrade package. <laughs> Have you seen that package? Uh-uh. Oh, you need to look it up. I'll look it up. up. Uh, and then, of course, they mentioned something about the, the Lux package option. Mm-hmm. So the backlog is so bad that Ford is now offering 2023 Bronco reservation holders who have uh, ticked the boxes for some of those mm-hmm. features over $2,500 <laughs> to switch to another Bronco trim or even another vehicle. Wow. Yeah. So that's a little in the industry today. That's crazy. I will kind of tell you, I am strongly considering buying a new truck at some point i would hold off how long have i been talking about that well i have known you for six going on seven (laughs) years so at least that long so yeah so patience and it's not because we couldn't we could have you know pulled the trigger at any time but our vehicles now are doing what they need to and it's hard to think like oh i'm gonna have to have full coverage Uh and have to have that car payment so i understand your ways of thinking we are at a point now uh we've got our little one and we are really wanting to expose her a little bit she kind of had a struggle coming into the world Mm -hmm. and we're not over it i don't think we'll ever be but we're at a stable position now but we want to expose her to some different things so we want to take her down and show her the ocean and do that. Oh, and, you know. that'll be so fun. So, but I'm uh, on the fence a little bit about doing that because I can't have any breakdowns. It's all got to be good. I can't have any stress or problems. We're going to be pulling a camper. So I'm kind of airing that out. Really, I'm thinking the third or fourth quarter of 2023, there will probably be some good incentives to buy a new or a new to you vehicle because the repo market's getting pretty crazy. Hopefully the new market kind of starts to come around, but kind of kind of looking at that, I got on Ford's website and I got on Chevy's website and I built a couple of vehicles. You want to take a gander what a one-ton dually is going for, moderately loaded, not like top of the line. Okay, so probably 95,000, close. I you for the fully loaded, yes, you okay. are. I trimmed the fat because I just couldn't. I would love to have the $95,000 one, but that's like, holy cow. The one-ton Ford with a gas Godzilla engine, the 7.3. Okay, let me guess again. Okay. 71.5. You're right there. Okay. Yeah. We were between 71.2 to 75 for the gas option. Uh, my my GM guys don't hate on me too bad. I don't want a GM gas engine, even in their truck platform. They're good. Don't get me wrong. But the Duramax is so strong in that platform. Not that the six seven Scorpion's not, but I like the six or the seven three Godzilla engine in the latest model Fords that are out. The six seven's fine. They're having some high pressure fuel pump issues, but the Duramax, the L five P. If I'm going to buy a GM product, that's going to be what I want. That is a ten thousand dollar option to move from gas to diesel. In any, either one of them, four-door Chevy. So I'm not picking. They were both almost like mm-hmm. neck and neck with the trim packages that go on them. That's a big pill to swallow. Yeah, no kidding. Even for, I think they would do 72 and 86 months, What I did think. the payments look like? Anywhere from twelve to 1400 bucks a oh month. Oh, my gosh. Not to mention the sales tax. Can you imagine the sales tax Yeah, no that? kidding. That's going to break the bank. That's a lot. So we may be driving the three and four hundred thousand mile old diesels down to to (laughs) to look at the ocean. (laughs) And if I have a problem, I basically have a seventy two to eighty four thousand dollar budget to fix whatever my problem traveling (laughs) if I don't buy the vehicle. So it's just one of those things. You gotta kinda weigh it out there and you know, if it's meant to be it will and if not 
you know, the vehicles that we have now are still in good shape. I would just be patient right oh, now. Gonna. I feel like I feel like you're right. We're going to start seeing some incentives mm-hmm. probably here in the next year or two. And I think we're going to need them for that kind of dollars no and kidding. cents you're talking about. You need every ounce of <laughs> uh, favor in order to pay for a vehicle like that and utilize it accordingly. That's a big, big deal. Well, believe it or not. We're out of show already. I know. Time does fly. Well, if you're out there in radio land, you have a question or a comment that you would like to submit, you can text us on our text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743. Or you can reach out to us on our social media. That is at 1041 KSGF. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Yes, you as well. Be safe. Bye.